Welcome to Postcards from the Kitchen. I'm your host, Elaine Acker, and I'm glad you'll be joining me as we discover the people, places, and stories behind the food. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. And today we are talking to Nicole Cruz with Circle C Farms, and she is better known as Farmer Nicole. So welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, Elaine. I'm so excited to be here. It's going to be fun talking about all sorts of different things about the farm. (laughs) Well, let's talk about stereotypes around farming, first of all. Mm -hmm. So it's one of those things that I think a lot of people hear the word farmer and everybody's Mm -hmm. got a different idea in their head about what that means. So tell me about the stereotypes and tell me about the reality. Well, I think that's really interesting that you brought that up because one of the big things is that a lot of the farmers, when you talk about the, you know, farmer, farmer Nicole or farmer Manny or, you know, it's a lot of times people think about produce. They think about vegetables. They, they don't necessarily think livestock or cattle or, you know, sheep and chickens. So I think first and foremost, a lot of people really think about produce and vegetables and that type of thing and strawberries and melons, you know, and, um, but there's a whole other side to the protein component and that is quite demanding. I would say it's equally demanding. It's different than, than planting and going through that level of harvest. But, um, but yeah. And then also a lot of times they think of men. They, you know, very, Traditionally, I guess, you know, the farming industry or agriculture has been very heavily um, male dominated and for whatever reason. And so it's nice to be amongst of up and coming women who are making a mark in farming and agriculture and, and working side by side with our partners and spouses, but, um, but taking a really strong handhold of what's going on in our food system and feeding our communities. And, and that happens to be a nice wave of women. Why do you think that is? Why do you think women are jumping in? Well, I think that there's a lot, um, depending on what you're reading or where you're reading or whether or not you're getting feedback through LinkedIn or you're on the other social media outlets, there's a lot of um, partners and spouses of retiring age farming families that are getting into it. And I think what used to be a lot of, um, you know, mom and dad, which are now grandma and grandpa passing down the farming and agriculture activities, the, the farm itself is now starting to transition to younger couples where they are divided, like where Manny and I, we divide and conquer based on our skills and our strengths. So there's certain things that he handles and certain things that I handle just based on our strengths. And I, I think what's happening a lot is there's more women becoming more actively involved because they're no longer working necessarily outside of the home full time. They may be part time or not at all outside of the home or off the farm. And now they're spending the time working full time in agriculture and in farming specifically. And I think there's a big shift because depending upon the type of livestock or the vegetation and produce that you're planting, women can handle things physically differently than they used to. So the equipment has changed. The technologies have changed. You know, what's going on has changed. And there's also resources available 
in which the farm or farmers don't have to be the only ones doing some services on the farm. So, for example, I know how to put up, put up fencing or, you know, install fence posts and barbed wire and all that. But my reality is, is that for me, I'm better off to bring in a, a local company or a team that I know that can come in and they can do it in less time, money being relative to the time component. But then I don't have to have all of that that hardcore knowledge and physical ability to go out and put up those fences, even though I know how it's supposed to be done and I know what it's supposed to look like so I can make sure it's done correctly. But I don't have to have the physical demand on me that um, as a woman, it would be much more difficult maybe than if I were to get a team of other individuals, which just happen to be men in that yeah. case. So, you know, I think that there's a, there's a lot of advancements and that's giving women a greater ability to take command and to start farms, whereas before you might not have had this resource. And that's, that's a big deal. Yeah. And I'm going to crawl out on a limb and say, and this may be my own stereotypes coming through, but women being aware of the quality of food. So for so long, you know, the women were the ones in the kitchen for the most part. I realize there's plenty of men that cook and, mm -hmm. and are very aware of all this, but um, traditionally it was the women that were in the kitchen. And I, I think there is also an awareness of the quality of food and where your food comes from, uh, from the women's perspective that may be inspiring some women to get more involved. It, it most likely is. There's a lot of women in our area because we're here in Florida, we can grow and do grow 12 months a year. So yeah. Our season's a little off of what everyone, you know, mid and, and up north is. We're, we're completely opposite. So we're able to grow 12 months a year. We're also able to have livestock 12 months a year. So, for example, the, the planting of veg vegetables and fruits and things like that, to your point, is something that can be handled. And then I can go out and say, okay, I need to set my time frame up so I plant lettuces for my, you know what I mean? I, I find out what is my family like? What are they going to eat? I, you know, I sit down because maybe, and as you mentioned, traditionally women would take care of that side. And so that mentality of grocery shopping or, or planning is being done. And mm -hmm. so I, I think that that does lend to it as well. Um, I'll also, I think that there's more collaboration and conversation between husbands, wives, partners, you know, caregivers, whomever is taking care of that responsibility for, for sourcing food. And because there's more CSA, women tend to be on social media more. You can go out and find those sources. You're going to, you know, you can get on your social media and say, okay, where's the nearest farm close to me? And we yeah. tend to be more engaged that way. And that's probably also a trigger for, okay, if I can do this and they're doing it, how can I do this for me? Maybe not everything for me, meaning our family, so I can go figure this out. Or And, and then the other thing, too, is let's be honest, with the social media, and particularly there's a lot of YouTube. So there's all these videos out there and these incredible resources that are not necessarily high-cost resources. So you can sit and you can go from video to video to video, and you can say, okay, I know this is what I need. This is what I have to have set up. This is how it has to be set up. I can trial and error on a small plot or space. I can do plants or garden. You know, I, I think that there's more available to us and there's maybe a little less risk in the sense of trying it. And so Such a good point. We're, 
Yeah. And we're jumping in and we're saying, okay, you know, and if you have children, depending on their age, you can involve them too. But now you have this education component. You have a family working together to feed themselves. You have conversations between mom and dad or moms. You know, it doesn't matter who's, you know, who your, your adults are in the home. It's just you have this opportunity to make it more of a family friendly dynamic about food and sourcing. And so that tends to often be that conversation, usually with mom, because, you know, dynamically, but not always. Well, we're talking about women in general, but let's talk about Nicole in particular. So you are a first generation farmer, which means you made a conscious decision to do this. So what inspired this for you? Well, it really boiled down to for me, and and I want to put the caveat because my husband is Dominican and he moved here um, in his teenage years and held dual citizenship and things like that. And his family is a multi-generation, large-scale farming. Okay. And so, but it's first generation for us here. And so for me, this was brand new. And like, I'm, you know, we started talking, my learning curve was like straight up, like, you know, for years. <laughs> and, and some days it's like, I'm, you know, I've got animals everywhere right now. Um, and some days it's still like that. I think for us, it really boiled down to the fact that in, in being very upfront about it, when we would go out, I would... I would get sick. I, you know, the foods that we were sourcing, the foods that I was eating, they're, they're covered in preservatives, they're covered in pesticides, they're covered in different types of enhancers and, you know, these, this, all these sauces and MSGs and all these chemicals. And I just was not, I was not able to enjoy myself because when we went out, I would, it would not be a pleasant experience, you know, afterward. And, and so that was really the impetus for what can we do differently? And because of my background in different industries and professions and my husband's background in agriculture plus other things, it was, it was kind of a no brainer. You know, we, we both grew up with animals, just a little different scale of different kinds and different locations. But because we did, we were comfortable with livestock. I mean, we can do produce and vegetables too. That's a whole different gamut of, of farming, but you know, putting the livestock on and we happened to have some property at the time. So we kind of started slow and then that just snowballed. And so, but, but that's really, that's really how it started. And now you're at the point where you're, you've opened two stores that are serving your communities. So who all is involved in this store with you? I see that you're offering a variety of products. So talk about the, the community collaborations and how you got that started. Well, originally we started on our little farm in Bonita Springs, Florida, and we had about six and a half acres over there and we had our laying hens and having the laying hens, of course, everybody got addicted to those because they were so good and they're pastured and they were underneath the trees and, you know, doing all that. And what happened with that was with the eggs, everyone said, well, you've got these fantastic, amazing eggs. Now you must have chicken, so you have chicken meat. And then that just kind of snowballed. It's like, well, they're different breeds. So yes, but no. And, and so then, then they were like, well, okay, so we want chicken now. So we're like, okay, so we researched that. And so that just kind of snowballed into, well, we have six and a half acres. We can only do so much there. And then in 2012, we purchased, um, just over a hundred acres about an hour outside of town. And so then that gave us a whole lot of grass. We had to figure out how to milk. And so we were like, oh my gosh, okay, this is way more than, you know, this is not realistic. So that kind of then 
antagonize the situation more quickly of growing into from chickens to lambs to pigs to cattle, that type of thing, which then opened up the multiple species. But when you have animals, that's all well and good. But what are you going to do with them when it comes time to harvest? And so for me, I'm I'm not completely a micromanager, but I'm a pretty aggressive control freak about certain things. And the principles that we farm with and the way we wanted the uh, harvesting, the humaneness of the harvesting, we wanted to be able to control that, quite honestly. Right. Um, and so we went to other facilities. They weren't quite a match for us for a variety of reasons. And so we brought it in-house, and that's how we ended up being the only farm in the country to have a USDA facility on our farm for both red and white meat. So we raise our livestock, we harvest our livestock, we butcher our livestock, we package our livestock, and we provide it direct here in the community, plus we ship around the country each week. And so that just naturally kind of evolved and has continued to evolve. And that then led to we needed to have a farm store in town because when we first opened five years ago in town, people were not really interested in traveling 45 minutes to an hour to get their eggs or to get their chicken. So we realized that and we recognize that as, is just a, it's just a dynamic of functioning for, you know, families and things like that. So we opened up our store in town, which was great. But as we've grown, we've now um, just a few months ago opened up the second farm store. And the reason why I mention it like that is because now as We've had more density growth out around the farm. We have more and more people out here that are like, well, hang on. I don't want to travel an hour into town when I live out in the middle of nowhere. So, you know, it, it was kind of one of those things that just naturally progressed based on the demand in, in the community. And so that gave us an opportunity to expand out here. And then we're able to work with, um, since we don't do produce, we work with a couple of different farms in town, but yeah, um, they're not as far out of town. And so they'd grow organic vegetables and fruits and things like that and salad greens. And so we're able to partner with them. And then we also have another farmer that grows mushrooms. And so I'll be working with him over the next month or two to bring in fresh, amazing mushrooms. And so we'll have those here. And then, of course, all of these things are now going to be able to be spotlighted and highlighted in our on-farm, we have a licensed kitchen here and we have a licensed kitchen at the other store. So now we're able to do on-farm meals. We're able to do our pasture-to-plate events. We're going to be, um, I'm in the process of bringing on my culinary talent. So I've got, you know, I'm looking for my chef and my my cook. And I've, I, I've, we've got a baker and she's amazing. And she's just super talented. And so we're adding to that because the demand is growing. And um, it's just it's a fun, natural process, I guess, of growth. And at the same time, it's kind of overwhelming and exciting and like, oh my God. So yeah, so that's, that's kind of, you know, a lot. And, and we're also like one of my missions this year is to do more impacted reach out to other farmers in our area because many of our farmers are really great at farming, but they're not so great at marketing and advertising and selling their product. And so someplace other than the farmer's market, is what I'm trying to open and provide an opportunity. So kind of twofold. One is we'll be able to work with them so that they can grow their amazing product and we'll have it for the community available in our farm stores, but we'll still be able to offer some of their product in our kitchen as we are preparing breakfasts, lunches, and dinners and all those great things, plus ticketed events and, and that kind of stuff. And 
then also being able to help them with maybe more value-added products. So it's going to give us a whole um, opportunity to tap into resources that we haven't necessarily been ready for in the past and be able to give some of our other local farmers an opportunity to farm longer during the year and to have an outlet for their great quality products. So, you know, it's, it's really important to both Manny and I that we make sure that our we're not just worried about us and farming and ag, but we're also worried about, and it's important that because we're the only one in our footprint in our space doing this, that we can be a hub for all these little farms to be, to be able to be successful and to stay in, to stay in business because farming is a business. And this way they can feed their families doing what they do really well. And then I can help the other families by being the conduit in pain. That's, Michael, that's, that's, that's a lot. That's intense. <laughs> it <laughs> it is, it's genius. Yeah. It, it's going to be amazing for the for the other farmers to get to benefit from mm-hmm. I'll just say from the ground you're breaking. Yeah. Um but I'll say so on the consumer side, so where we benefit, right. talk to me about the flavor and the difference between what you're producing and what we're getting at the grocery store. Well, the biggest difference is, is that we are truly 100% pasture raised. So all of our livestock, whether it's our chickens, our ducks, our laying hens, uh, whether they're the ducks or the chickens, whether it's the pigs or the cows, the calves, the, I mean, everything literally is outside. So right now we've had some really wacky weather and the beautiful part is they're outside. The drawback is they're outside. So in the last couple of months, we've had some bizarre like ups and downs in temperatures, which has impacted my the growth rate on my chicken. Mm. So because we don't have controlled environments, we're hot, we're cold, we're humid, we're wet, you know, all those things. And at the same time, we're completely outside in the sun and everything that's going on. So when we get these weather yo-yos, it slows their growth down. So what in chicken in chicken language you know, in the industry or the conventional setup, you're going to have a hot house with, let's say, 100,000 chickens in it. And it's a controlled space and controlled environment, which is great. And they can produce a chicken in a very short period of time, six weeks, seven weeks, eight weeks. It takes me 12, 13, 14 weeks. And right now, like this one particular group of chickens is stalled out just because of the ups and downs of the weird weather we've had recently. Like, in, I mean, recently in the last several weeks, plus yeah. a couple months before, then it's taken them an extra two, three, four weeks to grow. And so that's one of the uniquenesses to what we do. And it's also one of the, um, to sound completely punish, the hard bites to chew because right now I have had very little, if any, chicken for the last three or four weeks because everybody grabbed it, bought it off the website, bought it in the store. And now we're waiting, we're all waiting, including us, um, for, for the chickens to be big enough to harvest. And so that's one of those things. It's a really big difference because it doesn't make people happy when I say I don't have any more chicken breast or you've got to wait for chicken patties or chicken sausage because I don't have any chickens to harvest. So you got to hang tight for another week or so so we can let them naturally put more weight on. You know, so that's, that's a big deal. It's a big difference. And so, um, it's one of those things where people have to understand that this is really nature. Like this is how it really happens. 
Um, it's not fun. It's more frustrating for us than it is for you, I promise. <laughs> um, but uh, the same with the eggs. The, the, we've had weird, wacky weather this week, and the laying hens are like, whoa! You know, it goes from 83 yeah. or 84 down to 36, and they're like, like in 24 hours. So they're kind of a little shell shock, but they're starting to slow. They're starting to come back. So hopefully by the end of the week, we'll have more egg production. You know, but that's also some, something somebody has to adjust to, you know. And so when you're eating nose to tail or the old pasture or for us pasture to plate or farm to table or, you know, whatever, you know, you want to use, it's, it's a real legitimate, unique experience. And that's one of the biggest differences. Like I can go into my butcher shop freezer and I don't have a lot of chicken. Like I have a handful of cuts, which we have available in the store on the website. So it's one of those things where it's not like going to the grocery store. It's not like going to the big box store. I can't just turn around and say, Hey, yo, you give me some chicken because we raise our own. We do it uniquely. I, I stand behind what we do, but I can't stand behind what anyone else does. And so that's the other thing is while we want to be supportive of other farmers, I have to be careful because I don't bring in product from other farmers, particularly in poultry. And so we do work with some of the other farmers. We collaborate with them with regards to beef. And there's some of the family farms that are like right around us. And so we know what they're doing. We know what they're not doing. We know what they're grazing on. We know what they're not grazing on. So those things are consistent, but that's the big thing. Um, and, and the, it's time. And that's really, that's, it's a different mindset. It's a really different mindset. And an education curve, I would think, for those of us who want to buy, yes. because we have yes. to re-educate ourselves about nature and yes. that there will be some hiccups here and there, thanks to Mother Nature. And there's not a darn thing to call and do about it. So. No, no. And then as frustrated as you are, then you can just <laughs> know that we're in 10, 20 fold because it's not just me. It's my little team. And my little team is like, when are those chickens going to be ready? When can we harvest those chickens? I'm like, hang tight, hang tight. You know, and they're like, come on, we got people emailing. I'm like, I know, you know, so I'm like, I go out and sweet talk the chickens on a daily basis. Like, come on, come on. But you know, there's not much you can do. And in right. the same, the same ideas, like with the pigs, some people, different times of, again, size, naturally, they are like, well, you're out of bacon. I'm like, yes, I'm out of bacon. They're like, well, when are you going to have more bacon? Well, when more of the rest of the pig sells, because I'm not going to harvest a pig just for bacon. Like we don't harvest a cow just for fillets. And, and so that's another education component. Like I believe that my responsibility, and I have a heavy education background in general, but I believe that my responsibility is to educate, inform and share information. It's not to sell. And so that's something that I, I'm a steadfast believer in. We are not here to sell you on anything we do. I'm here, my, my little staff is here to tell you what we do. If it works for you, wonderful. But if it doesn't work for you, that's okay. If we're not the farm for you, I'm okay with that. You know, and, and I recognize that. And so that's, that's important too, because we are a nose to tail farm. We try to use every, every component of every animal in every way, shape or form somehow in agriculture and in what we're doing, whether it's human consumption, pet consumption, composting, you know, anything that we can do. And we're really conscientious about that. So, you know, that's another component to sharing. And while we may run out of a certain cut, 
there's other cuts of beef that maybe one should expect. The same thing with pork. You know, like, you know, we've got duck. So I said, well, we don't have any of our pecking duck available, but we have some of our heritage breed duck. So here we have it here. This is what we did. You know, those kinds of things. So it's, it's a little bit different. And I guess in the modern sense, people are getting a feel for what it's like to be a homesteader um, without the pain. You know, so we get to enjoy that and you guys just get to go wait for it. (laughs) I like it. I like being on on my end of all that. Yeah. Um, Well, speaking of Mother Mother Nature, y'all are subject to hurricanes too, risk from hurricanes. So if everybody's outside, what precautions Mm -hmm. do you have to take for hurricanes? Well, um, that's a learning curve. So when we first rolled out and we got hit by Hurricane Irma in 2017, and we got wiped out. We lost 11 of our 14 buildings. The ones that were standing were heavily damaged. We lost all of our chickens. We lost all of our turkeys. We lost almost all of our ducks. Um, the large animals were okay because you don't bring them in. So as much as you can plan and prepare when you have 90 to 120 mile plus sustained winds for 9, 10 hours plus, you kind of don't have options. You sit inside, yeah. stay as safe as you can, and you watch what you just spent years to create get destroyed in minutes. Um, so that happened in Irma. And then in, um, in Hurricane Ian last, well, 22, because we just kind of ran through the anniversary of that. And then we had Nicole right after that. We got smacked again with a hurricane category four and, and had some damage. Um, you learn from each hurricane. You figure out what you can do, bigger, better, bad, or different. Um, we have a structure with the chicken houses that we, we, um, like, for example, we put posts on all corners. We remove, if we don't have animals in there, we remove all of the pieces of aluminum and the siding that we can so that that way we're reducing the amount of okay. um, loss that we can have on the structures. Um, two years ago, we made the decision to not bring turkeys on the property because turkeys take um, 9, 10, 11 months to grow for Thanksgiving mm. for us, whereas in the hot houses, they would grow in four to five or six months maybe. So mm. those were decisions we made. We're going to make a decision to bring turkeys back on. But the reason why I mention that is because in the houses, our houses are mobile. And I'm looking this way because I'm, I'm sitting next to my bay window and I can see all my chicken houses. And so... <laughs> We, um, like there's a half a dozen on that one field. And so we have to plan ahead. Like every time we do anything, we have to make adjustments. When there's a threat of a hurricane, we literally have to stop all of our farming practices. We sustain the animals the way they need to be, but then we have to go into planning and prep mode. So we lose three, four, five, six, seven days of work to plan to make sure because just in case, so we don't get wiped out again. You know, this would be the third or fourth time that we would we would lose everything. And so um, that's one of the things you have to structure your housing. You have to structure your pastures. You have to structure when you bring chickens in, let's say, because certain buildings we know we won't lose because of the way they're they're constructed. But the mobile uh, the coops and the mobile houses on the pasture are all truly mobile. So they're not locked down in concrete foundations. So, you know, we have, we have to plan for that. We have to put in spikes in the ground. We have to put in posts. We have to chain. We have to tether. I mean, this is, this is a week of setting up for it. And then there's three to five days to undo it. So 
Mm. You know, these hurricanes, people don't realize these hurricanes are a real mess. And then on top of that, with us shipping around the country, because our, our Circle C farm family is not just local or hyper local, they're yeah. extended. And so that's a communication. Just we have to let everybody know, hey, we're not going to be able to ship next week because we're supposed to have a hurricane. And the little team that I have, the couple of people in the butcher shop now have to go outside to help tie down houses. And we have to, right. you know what I mean? Like, so we change from butcher shop clothes to outside clothes and boots and stuff like that. And off the little team goes and it's all hands on deck, you know? And then when you're in the middle of the hurricane, you have to have the, you know, we have a couple tractors. So we have tractors strategically placed so that we can get to them in 40, 50, 60, 70 mile an hour winds safely. So that if we have to, we can take that equipment out and go resecure something that might've gotten or wibbled or wobbled loose, you know? So it's, it's a whole, it's a whole different mentality. It's a whole different set of planning. Um, so that's why one of the things we started doing was trying to do between like late July and September, October, if we could plan our chickens to not have them here on farm outside during that period, then we might be able to reduce the potential amount of loss. So we would go heavy chickens before that. We would go heavy chickens after that. But that means that in that time, if I don't have chickens on the field, remember, it takes me three to four or four and a half months, then our inventory in chicken may decrease. But right. if we have a, whor- a hurricane at a cat three, four or five, I don't lose everything out there and then cause me three months worth of delay. So it's it's planning, it's strategic planning, it's preparation, it's budgeting, it's weather, it's everything you could possibly know. Yeah. So long answer to it. Yeah. Yeah. And people, people don't realize that. Yeah. So many things are affecting Mm -hmm. what you're doing. Right. And then, so like with Ian that came in in 22, that was, we lost power for four or five days, Mm -hmm. a little bit longer in town. So that also requires planning and preparation for diesel and gas and the equipment and you invest in the equipment because if it happens, then you have to go into action. But if it doesn't happen, you still have to have the equipment and you still have to maintain it. You know, so there's a whole lot of things that people don't understand and they don't realize. And it's, um, it's a heavy commitment financially, emotionally, physically. And then it's dealing with all the repercussions afterward. Yeah. So yeah, wow. it's, it's pretty intense. Now you're doing some storytelling of your own on your own podcast. So tell me about your podcast. So I launched a few weeks ago, my farmer, Nicole, Feeding Your Body, Mind and Soul podcast. And the the elevator version of that is I want to talk to to ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And it's I I truly believe because, again, I I have such a heavy background in education and that whole space that. I really believe that in my personal journey, I get so much pleasure, insight, intellectual tingling, and enjoy out of having conversations with people. And I, I'm not necessarily an extrovert, but I like to engage in conversation with people that have done different things than I have. So, you know, I, like you, it, it's an opportunity to talk to people that are doing neat stuff. And that's what I want. And I want to share that with other people. And it's not just about agriculture and farming, but really about stuff in life. Like I, I had a jazz musician on earlier, um, the end of last week. And so we got to talk about that. And 
he got to play with some really famous people. And so we're going to have him back to talk about that part. But, you know, it, it's this opportunity to talk to and ask questions of people in spaces and fields and industries that I would never necessarily get a chance to go into those spaces. And so I get to have an insight and I get to talk to them and I get to share that with other people. And, and so it's just really cool. And, and that was the idea behind it is to deep dive into certain things and to share with, with people about really neat and different stuff. You just so, love yeah. learning just like I do. I, I do. And, you know, ironically enough, as a young child, I really wasn't a big reader. And I, I think it's more because the, the idea at that time was, oh, school, you got to read this, you got to read that. But as I got a little bit older and my, my, I guess my late teens, early twenties, I was like, well, you know, now I, I, I kind of don't have to read what I'm told to read. So I get to read whatever I want. And, and I think the concept and the idea of engagement, interaction, reading, learning is totally different now because you can get your two minute bump on something you look up online. Or you can yes. jump into YouTube for a few minute video and you can stimulate your brain or you can say, Oh, I want to learn more about that or I want to do that. And, and so from an intellectual stimulation standpoint, we have so many more options of ways to learn things and do things that I think it kind of in this case, it feeds into that brain, that brain food. Like you just can yes. dump all the cool information in and then you walk away and, and, because my background is in is more interdis, interdisciplinary and more of a meta analysis and in that kind of a level, cognitively and intellectually, most of the time anyway, I I grab information and I take like something from your and my conversation and then I'll go okay where can I apply that how can I do something with that in a different space so that there is this interdisciplinary across the board way of of thinking and in. And that's, that's not always the way most people think. Do you have any recipes that people that are their favorites that they ask you about? Um, I think our chorizo, like our chorizo blend. Yeah. It's, it's, we, you know, because we live down here and we have heavy influences from all over the world, but also often very heavy Latin. So when you think of chorizo, a lot of times people think of hot, spicy, mm -hmm. you know. So, and I let them know that, that it's really, when we put it together, we had to design it for me because I, I wanted to enjoy it. So when Mandy and I were putting it together, it was, it's more of a bite. So I, I share with people, it's got a bite, not a burn. And, and that's always kind of fun because it's, it's this universal spice blend that, that Manny and I put together. And he's really the brains behind that. So I have to give props and kudos where that, you know, where that goes and. And so it's like my brain knows what I want, what my tongue needs to taste, but then it's articulating that to him and because he knows what I do and don't like. So that's how the, the chorizo came about. And so with that, we use it on everything. We use it on rubs for like every, uh, you know, every cut, like, you know, whether we're doing a roast or sausages or anything like that, but also it's really universal for, um, with a restaurant with us testing di different, um, dishes. And, and we, we came up with, using our pork chorizo with our uh over our biscuits so we're doing a biscuit and gravy oh, oh lord so fantastic and we were playing with that and so i'm like yeah let me in here i'm well, so way. glad we get to share it tell us well, tell you. everybody you where too. to find you um well our website for the farm is uh www eat 
circlecfarm.com. And my podcasts are at um, www.farmernicole.com. So you can, you can get it, you can get us in a variety of different, different places. And we'll be sure to tell everybody how to get that. We'll give, give you, we'll give people links on our blog. Um, I just really thank you for being here. My pleasure. And it's, it's always a great opportunity to be able to share what we do. And so thank you for that opportunity because it's, it's different and it's unique and people need to know about it. They do. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of Postcards from the Kitchen. Please subscribe and follow along as we discover the people, places, and stories behind the food.